на трибунах олеют знамена, Облака поднебесь и плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. This week we review all the RPL action, including the main Moscow derby, Zenit's return to the RPL summit, and another coronavirus outbreak, this time affecting Rota Volgograd. Then, we turn our attention towards the Russian Cup quickly, before previewing Krasnodar vs Pauk in the third qualifying round of the Champions League. Joining me this week is pod regular David Sanson. Hello, hello. And from whatever this is podcast, Hanu Truveri. Hi, guys. And Artyom Makarevich. Hey, pleasure to be back on. Yeah, it's great to have you both on, guys. It's been a long time planning. And uh, first place to start has got to be the VEB Arena. In the first main Moscow derby, Siska once again kept up their strong run of form over Spartak, defeating them 3-1. The away side actually opened the scoring low through Ezekiel Ponsa earlier doors. The army men pegged them back, though, with a set-piece goal, which is probably the most obvious betting result of the weekend, with Siska having scored the most in direct set-pieces this season, and Spartak conceding the most of the last two. Then, Nikola Vlasic turned on the style to begin and end the move for the second goal, and later on, Chidera Ezekiel had opened his account for the club after moving from Heravine. Scoring on a breakaway, Spartak desperately tried to tie the game. Now, the game was wrought with controversy, with a tight penalty call possibly given against Spartak, and then late on a potential handball in the build-up of the third goal, was not spotted by the ref. Now, David, what's your take on these decisions? Correct, or was Spartak robbed? No, they, they weren't robbed. I, I thought everything um, <laughs> everything that was given was, was fine. Um, you know, Spartak, they, they started well, scored, scored a goal. Um, not out of nothing, but it, it's not a chance that you'd see very often go in the net. It was a, it was a good strike, um, but no, the, the penalty was was definitely uh, it was contact, obviously. But Ayrton is the one who initiated said contact by basically jumping into uh, Karpov's leg. Uh, the the questionable one is whether Karpov should have even been on the pitch after his third, you know taking down a man um, inside the first thirty seconds, clear on goal. I I, I don't think Shenikov was was covering enough to be. To be considered like a cover option, and I think maybe he should have been off earlier. Um, but, but the latter one was definitely not a penalty, and uh, the one at the end, granted, it, it wouldn't have changed the game because Spartak were losing two one anyway. Um, yeah, but but the rules, the rule, the handball rules, as intricate as they are, I feel like I've studied them so many times this season because Spartak keep moaning about it. Um, <laughs> the hand, the handball rules as they currently are state that. that what happened? Uh, what wasn't handball? Um, you know, it was it was an accidental flick up, which um, off his boot onto the ground, bumped up hit his 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 fingers basically, um, and it was about ten seconds before the ball ended up in the net. So I, I think it was they were good decisions. Yeah, I kind of view both of them quite similarly in that your gut reaction is. Oh, Penalty, penalty. It looks like one all day long, and then as soon as you see any form of replay, it's quite clear that Ayrton was just diving before he was even touched. Then the same with the second one. Gut reaction. I thought oh, it did touch his hand. It did, but it's not handball. Um, so Azuke's goal seemed like it would it would come from a mile away, really, as well. Right at the end, I thought throughout the game he threatens really well, and and Spartak's backline just didn't really know what to do with his pace, especially getting stretched on the counter. Now, Hanu, what did you think of the new man on his on his debut, I believe, for Siska in the league? Yeah, I think he was uh, really impressive. He's, of course, uh, they paid a lot of money for him. 
is known for is uh, is been very you know it's quite highly rated and, and uh, especially with with a player of the skill set that he's got it's been a while since CSK have had a player like that perhaps even you know Ahmed Musa um, their other big money signing Adolfo Gaich hasn't really gotten off the mark in, in the fashion that you'd expect him to but I think he was really good he one of those players that causes mayhem as soon as he gets on the ball and uh, scored a nice goal it was well taken even though you know it was again didn't really um, change the game a lot. I think it, it, it's a good sign of uh, things to come from him and I think if he can keep that form up, maybe play alongside Vlasic, Chalob and then the other quality attackers CSK have got, I think he could turn them into uh, quite a formidable outfit both in, in Russia and Europe. So I think it's a great start from him um, altogether. Yeah, that, what I like about him is that he kind of there's one thing that Siska have always had of late, and that's a, a striker who's very good at running with the ball, very direct and getting them up the pitch. And he's got that in abundance. It's something that, I mean, Chalov's a very talented player, but he doesn't really have that pure directness and ability. But if we focus on Spartak for a second, now everybody knows the set, the set piece defending is absolutely shambolic. And Artyom, how do you think that Spartak could bounce back from this? I think you're quite, for once, optimistic about how they could play this season. Yeah, I am optimistic. They started the season quite well, but like you said, the set piece is a, it is the most predictable um, part of the game that you can really score against them. Uh, to be honest, I thought the goal they conceded uh, from a set piece this week was mainly Maximenko's fault. I thought he might have done better there. Um, but as uh, honestly, if they can, if they can uh, fix up those set pieces, I think they'll do very well this season. I expect them to come and come in the top three or so. Yeah, certainly. I think I remember mentioning in like the in one of the chats of RFN that Maxi, as we call him in Spartak, is his continual errors in big games, and especially Moscow derbies now. They're not hugely occurring, but it's it's enough just to like worry in the back of our mind constantly. And I think that's why you'd see Matvey Safanov always getting the start ahead of him. Now moving on on Sunday, Zenit swept aside Arsenal Tula quite easily with a three-one win. Andre Mostovoy opened the scoring for his first RPL goal for Zenit before Zuba Kulu took away a second and took the away side of the sword with such a disgustingly tidy finish. Everyone needs to go watch that. It was just ice cold from Zuba in the penalty area. And then Yuri Kavalyov, the Belarusian international, got one back for Artula before Alexander Yerakin came off to kill the game off again, like he does quite often. First of all, Hanu, was this a routine win for Zenit, as the scoreline suggests, or maybe a bit closer? No, I think it was a, a routine win and it was um, good for Zenit to get back into winning form after sort of a, a rocky couple of games. But uh, given given how high the standards have been for Zenit over the past couple of years, even the slightest um, slightest mess-ups are magnified by the media uh, and, and the fans alike. But I thought it was a routine victory. It's it's a phrase we hear, it's a sentence we hear quite often. Zuba, you know, being cool in front of goal, killing games. Also good to see Mostovoy and... Um, Krugovoy, two academy graduates, play very, very well for Zenit. Gives them hope for the future. And uh, Tula were nice, but I didn't really think that they threatened Zenit too much. I didn't think that um, they ever showed signs of, of winning the game. I think Zenit were in, in control throughout. And it will certainly help um, their fans feel a bit more reassured after, you know, the points they dropped over the past couple of weeks. So I think it was, it was a good result for Zenit, a routine result, but um, surely one that will help boost confidence. Yeah, and it's the sort of result where, I mean, obviously, Zenit have famously, for, for three or four or five years ago, give or take, suffered from what was tended to be known as a winter curse, which 
hasn't really affected them as much under Semak. Now, the, the average goals, expected goals for and against did drop in this period, but Hanu again does come back straight to you. Do you think this is the sort of result that's hopefully going to stave off this winter curse where it's just an absolute routine win and you just expect them to go out, get there, and they, they, come, they did it? I don't, I think the winter curse was, the, the winter curse that we, you know, mentioned was exacerbated by the likes of Mancini and, and the other problems that the squad had. I think Semak definitely, yeah. like you said, has really helped settle the players as, you know, the new players. There also seems to be some great chemistry in the squad. Uh, you don't know what will happen this winter because they might get a tough draw in the Champions League. There's going to be, you know, a lot of fixtures in quick succession, so that could impact them. But I don't, you know, those are the physical side. I, I don't think, um, as a team, at least on the pitch, on the sporting side, I think they should have enough to stave off that winter curse and play like they have played over, you know, past year and play like champions still. Yeah, definitely. Now, if we move on to one man in particular, Nautiom, that's your namesake. Zuba's just absolutely firing in all cylinders. And I, I adored that goal where he just kind of tricked the keeper and then took a quick second and just passed it in like if he just didn't even care. It was brilliant to watch. Now, do you think that Zuba makes Zenit tick or is that is that unfair to Zenit? Are there, are there more than that, Artyom? No, I, I think that's a completely fair point. Um, I think he's an important figure for Zenit, both off and on the pitch. Um, he's the captain, he's the main man, he's the biggest voice. I think without him, the chemistry in the team wouldn't be the same and maybe we wouldn't be seeing some of the same results that we are. Um, he, he's definitely one of the better players in the league and I think, like I said, without him, uh, Zenit might be a completely different team. And David, to move on to Arsenal's perspective, I know we kind of touched on it a little bit there, but... I thought they played, I agree, I thought they played fine in spades here or there, but like fine's really all I can say about it. And they currently still sit in the relegation playoffs, I believe from just one win this season, despite having players like Evgeny Lutsenka playing well. Yeah, Kings Kangwa, probably the best performing midfielder in the entire RPL. So, David, do you think they might be in trouble this year, potentially? Well, they're struggling at the moment because uh, Lutsenko is obviously out. He's been out for... Um... Well, just before the international break, he picked up an injury, so he's probably been out for uh, two or three fixtures now. Uh, and they've got no backup striker or no backup striker who they're, who they're willing to play. They've got Roman Minayev on the bench, um, who's out of the Feniel last year. Um, and the fact that he's not even getting starts when he's the only ever recognised striker in the squad isn't a promising thing. You know, I think they started, I think it was Gromico who started up front, and he's an attacking midfielder. Um, you know, in the past, Arsenal have sort of been a bit of a bogey team to, to Zenit. I remember a couple of games where uh, Evans Kangra went away and scored on counter and, and Arsenal picked up wins in St. Petersburg. But um, as you say, sort of Zenit, now, back then it was like a, a little team could beat Zenit and you'd be like, yeah, that, that can happen. But now it's a bit of a surprise if that happens. Um, but yeah, Arsenal just, Arsenal just struggling without Lutsenko. Obviously, they've lost to Savoy now as well. Um, that's two big losses in their, in their attack. See, so that singer should be back soon enough. Um, but without anyone up there to spearhead or you know to, to aim for, you know, a lot of their players we saw in the end of last season, the singer was on fire, and therefore a lot of their play was revolved around just getting the ball to him, finding crosses for him. Uh, and they, they've not got that now. Um, just trying to think back to goals they have scored of late, it was either him or Lesavoy that I can think of. Kanga scored a couple from outside the box, but, but that's it. So, um once they get Lutsenko back, it will be a big change for them and we have to hope that they can adequately replace um, 
Lesovoy with presumably Zinkovsky based on the rumours, but um, we've not seen anything progress with that. Um, I think they'll be fine. There's definitely worse teams in the league than them. Yeah, I was just about to mention Lesovoy actually before he came in the end and that he's a big miss for... He's, a, he's going to be a huge miss for Arsenal of Tula. Uh, ironically, at the time of recording, he's actually currently playing for Dinamo on the pitch right now, who are 1-0 down to Lokomotiv Tbilisi of, of all teams. But David, come in, but you're, you're kind of an expert on, on some of the younger players in the league, obviously working along also for scouted football, and, and you, you tend to focus a lot of your sort of you know, your watching and research on on players under the age of 23. So, what what do you think of Kings Kangwa coming into the team? Um, how has he performed the season, and can, could the signing of, of Arsenal, of course, old man Kadiri, maybe put a little bit of a spanner in works in that one? I think it, I think his breakthrough has been good. Obviously, he's got. Um... The new manager Papali to thank as soon as he started as head coach back in June, July time. Um, you know, he completely changed up the team and Kangwa, who barely got minute get, barely played any minutes of the season, suddenly was a, a regular. Um, and he's a he's a very tidy little playmaker, as we can all see. You know, he's very good on the ball. You know, he's very slight in height, but um, you know, he, he does pretty much everything you need him to do right. He's maybe a bit reckless, he's had a couple of red cards um in the last couple of months but um you know you need someone who's willing to get in the tackles he just needs to get a bit better at it um i don't think kadiri's return which is you know it's if he can come back and play the same way he did last time he's here then it's fantastic i think it's going to affect him too much um Kangla seems to play on a series of defensive mid i think i think uh kadiri's going to come in probably to to fill the slot that maybe costa dinov would play in the midfield or something like that uh, one of the, one of the real deep players, whereas Kangas are given a bit more license to to just roam about the field. You know, he'll sometimes pop up out wide and, um, and things like that. But he's not, you know, he's not attacking mid. He'll he'll just be sat somewhere in probably the final the final third of the pitch, just waiting to you know keep keep the ball moving, progress play. I think uh, Kadiri's return will, will be a big boost for them. So it was one of the big story of the RPL the weekend and. Unfortunately, it's some more grim news as coronavirus raised its ugly head again. While I say that, I'm currently in lockdown again, the irony of that. But on Saturday, seven positive cases of COVID-19 were discovered from some routine testing in the Rota Volgograd camp. Then on Sunday, four more appeared of the entire playing squad and backroom staff were tested. So a total of 11 players and staff were tested positive for COVID-19. As a result, the RPL decided to postpone the match which was due to, due to later take place on Sunday. And then it was later stated that it was cancelled after the RPL did not receive the results of the investigation by the local health and department of the Volgograd region. Now, overall in Russia, the R rate of the virus is, is significantly on their decrease, and especially in Central European Russia. However, as seen here, wider provinces in the wider provinces, cases are still popping up. This season, there's been numerous different outbreaks amidst RPL clubs, eh, pay for L clubs, apologies. And then the Fena L, Dinamo, Blyansk and Yenisei over by the Ukrainian border in Siberia, respectively, have both been wrecked by by COVID outbreaks. So, David, again, come straight back. Do you think this is the natural progression of the virus or how it works? I mean, obviously, we're not experts on that, but chiefly, was the postponement the correct decision? Could Rotter have played the kids, or or could they not do that anymore, like Rostov did last season? Um, well, obviously, we we know that there's there was a rule introduced to try and prevent that sort of situation happening, where 
Um, you know, they, they can play a few kids, but they, they could be limited, I think, to four or five at most. Um, you know, I think if we're going to accept that football is to continue in this time, we're, we're going to have to just get used to the fact that teams are, you know, probably going to forfeit games if they're not, if their players aren't careful enough. You know, I'm not blaming necessarily players, you know, um, could have been a staff member, but someone in that camp has, has socialised somewhere to have, to have got it, presumably. Um, and, and that's affected them. You know, I, I was thinking about this the other day, you know, teams, teams, players, you know, teams are, football clubs are businesses and their players are their biggest assets. You know, not playing a game and getting three points is, is a lot of money to lose. You feel like clubs would have bigger restrictions on their biggest assets to make sure they're not getting sick. Um, I, I found it strange that the clubs aren't keeping as big a tabs on, on their players as you might have expected. Um, but yeah, it, it's just the new normal. We're, we're going to get these games postponed sometimes. If there's if there's teams who have got it, um, you don't want to pass it on to other teams. You know, if if we can isolate the players who are who have got it and the, the team can still get a squad out, then good. If not, and the local region, you know, if the Volgograd region is really suffering and they don't want to host a football match, then that's up to them. And and it's you know it's perfectly fine for them to say that. So. Um, I don't. I don't think uh, any complaints for cancelling the game. Krasnodar will be happy as well, giving a bit more time to prep uh, ahead of Europe. You know, imagine that game went ahead and the Krasnodar player got infected, and then Krasnodar couldn't play their Champions League game. You know, it's, it'd be a disaster. So, so yeah, it was good all round. Yeah. yeah, certainly. And it, it, like you said, it's, I completely agree. It's unfortunately the new normal. And that's just a sign of the society that we're living right now. I mean, You've seen the two England players who broke COVID nineteen, that who broke the COVID nineteen. That was Mason Greenwood and Phil Foden. It's it can happen anyway. It's not just like let's cast let's castigate Russian football because it's Russian football because that'll be the wrong thing to do. Ironically, this week a German football team actually lost thirty seven nil because they decided to play socially distanced, and the team who won didn't play the just played a full eleven. It was crazy. So, like doing all the all the can right now, but after the game. The chairman of the RTU FTC Commission, Artyar Grigoyans, announced that it was a technical defeat given to Rotter, a hundred thousand euro fine, and upon basically the basis that uh, I'll paraphrase it because it's very long and boring, but um, mandatory requirements of sanitary regs weren't met. Uh, there was there weren't there was absence of QR codes from the players, uh, and the, there was no clean zone at the time, so. Yes, it was postponed because of the virus tests, but this extra fine that they received was because the club weren't actually doing what they should have to to ensure the safety of the players. So, Hanu, what's what's your thoughts on this? Do you think the fine's harsh? I mean, it's been the same fine that was given out to Orenburg uh, earlier in the se- uh, earlier end of last season for the postponed fixtures. But do you not think maybe the RPL could accommodate a fairer system considering the current current circumstances? I don't particularly think that a, a fine is harsh. I think my issue is more with uh, how inconsistent the RPL is with such cases. Uh, Rostov, like you said, are unhappy with it. And, and we, we hear every single time there's such a case like this, we hear of, of this new, um, this, this entirely new thing that's going on, you know. Uh, 
every case is handled differently. Sometimes PMs are cancelled, sometimes they're not. There's a distinct lack of transparency. There's a new apparatus yeah. to keep everything in check all the time. And we've, I think this is, a, of course, the situation is, is going to stay the way it is for we don't know how long, a year, maybe even, even longer than that. But we've seen that in, you know, with the second wave hitting mainland Europe and in France and these countries, they're having cases. I think PSG had eight to nine of their top players get the virus, but they still fielded in 11, even though they lost. It was, it was of course, it was inconvenient, but the process itself was smooth. You know, the, the, the guidelines were in, in place. You know what was going to happen. And after that, after the quarantine was over, after the players tested positive, I mean, negative again, it was back to business as usual. It's only in Russia that this is, you know, such a long uh, tale where everything is, is twisting by the minute and you don't know what's going to happen next and you don't know who's going to threaten who with what. And I just think the ever since the restart, the, the RFU, the RPL, all of them have just shown a, a big lack of leadership. And this has really impacted and, and soured the, the, you know, state of Russian football for uh, well, regarding the pandemic and, and so on. Yeah, definitely agree with that lack of leadership, and that just it, it it just seems like not not only does nobody want to make a decision, it's like nobody knows what the decision that they should make is. Exactly. For a while, they had yeah, for it was crazy that they had people uh, the teams isolated in their own little bubbles, and then they weren't anymore. <laughs> what was that about? Why did that suddenly stop? Yeah, it's still the same virus. I thought it was gen. I, I'm glad fans are back in and it's getting a little bit back to normal. And and then, like I say, the R rate is decreasing. But it's crazy that suddenly there was only 10% of people allowed in, and then two weeks later there was 50% of people allowed in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did the virus go in that two weeks? It's still there. <laughs> but anyway, I, I don't want to get too much into that because I'll be here all day. But as a result of this technical defeat, Krasnodar were, of course, as usual, awarded a three-nil victory. And the game was not postponed, but cancelled entirely due to the tight packed schedule this autumn. So, do you think the game should have been postponed to a later date to give Rotter a chance? Or would it just delay the inevitable in a Krasadar win? Do you think, uh, Hanu? Honestly, I think um, I don't think Krasnodar win is actually as inevitable as we state. But uh, <laughs> that's got more to do with my qualms with uh, Murad Musayev than anything else. But I think I guess you could could postpone it or you could sort of keep reserve dates like you had earlier. But then again, you have to consider Krasnodar would... They have European games. They have they have a game tomorrow, which is on Friday. Then they have a Champions League uh, game. Then after that, once the actual Champions League group stages start, you're going to have games every week in that. So Krasnodar would simply not get the time. Plus, Rotor would have a couple of cup games and so on. I think it... And apparently... From reading the news articles, it seems like there have been some lapses in Volgograd when it has to do with sending the results and so on. So I guess you can argue on both sides, but it is what it is. You have to move on from it and Rotor should take more care with, uh, you know, keeping their players away from precarious situations. And then the RPL and them should do more to prevent these situations from happening. And if they do, they should do more to ensure that they remain in control, I think. Yeah, definitely. And funny enough, speaking of trying to move on from things, um, next week, Rotov face Rostov. And Rostov have actually sent a letter to the president of the RFU, Sergei Pryadkin, complaining about the handling of the case and seeking assurances of safety, which from their point of view, I think is 
entirely warranted considering half the time the RPL is an absolute shit show. But they pose the following four questions to Priyadkin, and once again, I will just paraphrase it, but asking if it's safe, um, asking if it's double standards of one to be held three days later after a cancellation. Um, they actively directly address Priyadkin and believe does he believe that 11 sick rotter players took part in the training and recovery process and did not contact anyone whatsoever? Which And then last, they, they actually <laughs> accused Priyadgan of bearing to take personal responsibility for the infection of Rostov's players during the game against Rotter if it there then happens. Now, I can understand where they're coming from. This happened to Rostov before. They had 10 players out at the end of the season, had to play kids, lost 10-1. It was, it was one of the lowest moments you can remember in recent history. But the really interesting part is number three, where they Rostov, who have underwent the pandemic themselves and underwent the isolation, actually asked, do they believe that these players were really isolated? Which opens a little bit of a can of worms and that were they themselves? And these accusations and these questions are really interesting to get from an RPL to team to the head. And you compare that the English Premier League when Richard Scudamore retired and every Premier League team was gushing to give him £250,000 each. It's just like a different world. So, David, do you think Rostov are justified in this? Or is it just a knee-jerk reaction given they also suffered a similar fate at the end of last season? I think it's uh, a little out of proportion. I mean, I can sort of understand their point um, regarding the games, considering what we're seeing happen in the Fenio. But the Fenio has different rules. The Fenio, uh, it was um, any game, if a team has COVID, then the game is immediately forfeited. Um, if, if, you know, if, if Rotor have isolated those infected players and the other players have tested negative, then you know, there's no reason for them not to be able to continue training and then to play. Uh, you know, the tests will continue and they'll, you know, they'll, I'm sure they'll test them again just before, you know, the day before the game, just like last week. And if they've got enough players to play, then then it should go ahead. We want to, we want to, we don't really want to see uh, teams forfeiting games. We want to see games go ahead as much as possible, you know, and if they can put out a team, um, then, then we need to see it. We don't want to see, obviously, what we saw last season with uh, the Rostov kids, but they, they've put rules in place to, to prevent that. Where you know, obviously, but I, I put the blame mainly on Sochi for that one. But um, I think they, I think they've got some some right to complain. But um, similarly, we, we want football to go ahead. So if if they can play and everyone's negative, then then uh, it, it should go ahead. Yeah, ideally, without a shadow of a doubt. It cast my mind back to the very start of the season. Um, the head of the RFU, Alexander Chukov, gave a, a, his usual press conference. It's kind of like a State of the Union address in America, where at the start of every year, the head of the RFU stands up and, and addresses the journalists in the room. And in this, he actually discussed actively how they would change from last season to this season and helping clubs with deal with coronavirus. And obviously, it's a two-week break, so... It, what what actually was done in that two weeks and what he said would be done are two polar opposites. But in in this, he actually mentions that the a quote the leadership did its best to help clubs in the current circumstances. There is no such problem, to, no such person who can solve the problem alone. Responsibility for the non-proliferation of coronavirus should be borne by everyone. And like it goes on like that, but you get 
you get from that impression that it, it's just he's like reading from a teleprompter. Like there's absolutely nothing of any substance in there. And yes, I know it's only two weeks after the end of the season previous, because this is the day before the new season. But every single time you hear any sort of apparatchik in the RPL or in the RFU discuss coronavirus, it's just let's distance ourselves. It's, here's just a big blank canvas that we wrote three weeks ago, three months ago, whatever it was. And we're going to read this. And then we're going to deal with every single case absolutely completely differently. Now, I agree that I think Rostov's response is a little bit cheeky, if that's the word for it, a little bit unnecessary. But if if Rotter have been fined for not adhering to COVID procedures, then they do, for the safety of the players, have every right to complain. But it's a very interesting one, and obviously we're going to have to wait until the weekend to see what the, the outcomings and maybe beyond that to see what the the end of this is but it's just a very bizarre very weird situation and i've never seen a team write a letter like that directly to the rpl i mean this is the fourth time this season that we've had a team threaten to either pull out of the league accuse the people in charge or absolutely kick off or there's something that's happened and i don't know if it's just crazy and the losing control or if it's just a sign of the times that we're living right now but if we move on on, the, move on a little bit happier pastures, this week we've got the first round of the new Russian Cup. And the change format this year, in which we've got 10 groups of pay for l Fin l and RPL sides who are not in Europe. And the winners of these 10 groups, little group stages, will then advance to the last 16 with the six RPL sides who do play in Europe. So this was changed largely to try and allow for pay for l teams to play an RPL side and, and get some home games in to try and gain a bit of financial aid while also allowing players playing in Europe in the RPL to, to play less games and get less fixture build-up in the first half of the season. So, David, you've kept an eye on proceedings there. Would you like to run through some of the games that you watched? I think you particularly kept an eye on a 17-year-old up top for Rodina, didn't you? Well, I didn't actually get, get the chance to watch any. Obviously, most of them were, were daytime UK time. Um, but I was able to catch the highlights for um, a couple of the games uh, obviously, we had, I think, eight games played this week. Only Rotor and Arsenal haven't played their fixtures this week for whatever reason. Um, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure why they haven't played. Um, every every Premier League side faced the PFL side away from home, uh, and every Premier League side won. Uh, so not not great for the PFL sides, but we we had some big turnouts. So I know for the for the Rubin game uh, down in uh, down in the south of Russia in Novorossiysk, and there was a big crowd turnout and. Granted, the home side lost 4-2, but at the end of the game, the fans the fan stormed the pitch and uh, they were all rushing to get selfies with Stutsky and some of the bigger players in the Rubin team. So, you know, it's nice to get these provincial teams, you know, their, their moment. Andrew always recounts the story of two men playing Zenit, you know, uh, in two men a few years back and even pulling off a win. You know, this is the story that several of these clubs are going to get this year. Uh, granted, not against the big, big teams, but it's still something something special for a lot of them. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, we saw uh, Rodina against Spartak. Spartak cruised, cruised the victory. And uh, earlier in the day, we, there was a a story about uh, their young striker, um, Abdul Salamov, um, 17 years old, who, who I'd, I'd heard of last year. Uh, he, he was doing all right in the, in the under-17 squad for Russia. And uh, there were there were then quotes from the Rodina coaches saying that um, he was due to go off to Tottenham 
on trial in March, but it got cancelled because of because of coronavirus. And uh, we saw him score a nice consolation goal against Spartak, taking advantage of uh, Ilya Kutipov playing in defence quite nicely there, uh, as Alexi pointed out. Um, so, so yeah, nice some nice stories and nice chances for the for the smaller clubs, but to you know to get their their moment against the big side, but arguably in the long run harder for the smaller clubs to, to progress from this new format, which is a bit of a shame, but um, I, I like the new format in terms of trying to ease fixture build up for, for the Russian sides in Europe. Granted, uh, we're seeing probably both sides uh, throwing that away right now. Um, the update from Dinamo is that they're now 2 down, <laughs> but they have just got a penalty, so we'll see. Um, oh, that must be ahead of you, David. <laughs> um, I'll not spoil it for you. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so yeah, so yeah, so I like I like the build up, and obviously Russia, the RFU presumably just uh, you know, trying to trying to boost Russian clubs' chances in Europe's. That was that was my theory for the new format, rather than anything else. Um, so so yeah, it, it, it could work in theory, um, and, and yeah, quite quite like it. And what did you think about uh, Ostan Uranov's goal for Spartak? That was just, I believe it was his first senior goal, wasn't it? In, uh, well, in Russia. Yeah, certainly in Russia. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty much exactly what we'd expect from him. Some, you know, some quick feet, quick flash, and suddenly then he smashes the ball and, and it went into the bottom corner. So a nice, tidy little goal. Um, you know, me and, me and Hanu are big fans of his. Um, so, so it's good to see him finally, you know, um, he had a lot of doubters when he joined Spartak, and I think he would have put put a lot of them down with that goal. So um, hopefully he can keep it going. Then, Artem, what's, what do you make of the new format? Um, do you think it'll give some of these smaller teams a chance, or is it just going to let the RPL sides basically dominate in the Cup? Yeah, honestly, I think it's going to be more of a friendly for, uh, for the RPL sides. It's not really a cup game for them. I think it's very easy for them to, to beat those teams. Like even if you look up on Google, um, the RP, uh, Russian Russian Cup results, you'll see that the teams with crests are winning every time, um, and the teams that are losing it don't don't have any crests. So <laughs> I think that's brilliant. <laughs> that's absolutely great. Like yeah, it's 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 I don't know. I mean, Hanu, you mentioned earlier that you want a little bit of justice for Tosna, but. I don't know, maybe it's just because they beat Spartak in the semi-final, but I don't want to see a, a Tosna shinnik Yaroslavl final in a long time, to be quite honest. I don't know if you what you think about that, Hanu. Would you like to see a, a, a Minnow maybe get through late in the round in the Cup? Yeah, I like seeing Minnow... Uh, not Winnows. I like seeing Minnows do well in competitions if they actually win them. Like, you know, Kimki and them. If Kimki had won the Cup last year, it would have been fun. But it, it, I don't... I think this format essentially is going to become like a knockout round of, of the RPL teams. Uh, it'll be, I don't think we're going to see a game between what Avangard Kursk and, and Tosno in the final ever again if this format continues, which is sad. <laughs> but, uh, Kursk, sorry, not Shaq. Yeah. yeah, they're all the same, aren't they? I think they're both out of existence now, anyway. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I guess you could see bigger matchups in, in you know the round of 16s and maybe in the round of 8s whether you when in reality in the, in the regular format you see them towards the end towards in the semi final and final but I don't I'm not a big fan of the new format I don't really understand why it was brought in and I I don't think it's going to help the chances of the lower clubs by a lot maybe it'll give them some extra gate money 
because the big clubs are coming in but i don't know if it overwhelms the the sporting side of a of the, of the magic of the cup as they say um, so yeah yeah, I think that's it. It's it's definitely a little bit of a share on like the fairy tale of the cup, as you would like to say. But I mean, in theory, it definitely does help the RP the pay for L size financially. But if you take Radina Moscow for example, they only got anything from the game because Spartak decided to give them all of the proceeds. So it's a bit of a funny one. Obviously, it depends if they're at home or away, and a lot of the time also depends on who they get. Like if you're good. <laughs> If you're say I don't know Velez and you get in a in a in a game in a, in your group stages with Tambov who are have got nothing like they've got absolutely penniless then you're gonna you're gonna see absolutely out from that. If if you play Spartak and Zenit who've got more money than sense then it's probably gonna favour you. So I, I'm I'm torn on it. I think it's an interesting move, but I'm genuinely torn between helping out the smaller sides financially and it's being far too heavily weighed uh, towards the bigger teams, which is, is never a good thing. But talking about the bigger teams, on Tuesday, Krasnodar faces Pauk in their Champions League third qualifying round first leg at home. Then a week later, they travel to Greece and the winner will find themselves in the draw for the Champions League group stages. Obviously, that'll be the first time Krasnodar have ever reached the stage of the competition. So, David, coming back to you. Despite Pauk themselves defeating Benfica last week, could this be a slightly easier tie for the Bulls? Or is that a little bit disrespectful towards Pauk? Um, well, we, we talked about it before and we were all sort of saying, you know, on paper it is. Um, Benfica, Benfica are a much bigger name and you'd be more scared of Benfica going into it. Um, yeah, I'll say it's a blessing to, to get Benfica, but then last year we saw... We saw Preston beat Porto over two legs and then lose to a Greek side over two legs. Um, so maybe it would have been better to play Benfica. Um, you know, they'll take it as it comes. The, the squad's good enough. We know on their day they, they can beat pretty much anyone. Uh, we've seen that. You know, the squad's not really changed much in the last couple of years. We saw them beat Bayer Leverkusen. We saw them uh, beat Valencia. Um, so, so we know they can do it. Um, we know they can. We know they've got the, the ability. Um, he obviously questions over Musayev and his and his game management in in the European Cups. Um, and I think probably benefit more beneficial if they'd had the the away leg first uh, to come back and and control at home. Now they've got to, you know they'll have a hard game at home, and if it's not gone their way, they've got to then go go to Greece and and have a have a tricky one. Um, um, I think speaking there. of having a tricky one, David, I'm just going to jump in here because uh, um, Dinamo Moscow have just lost against Lokomotiv Tbilisi. <laughs> Full time yeah. now, two one to Loco. Well, not good for the coefficients, lads. Not good. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we we all had it on. I think in the background, we, we saw we saw what happened. It, it wasn't wasn't pretty um, for Dinamo and. I think it just it just shows that the RPL maybe doesn't deserve the six six places that it gets, um, or was getting. Obviously, we're down to five now. Um, you know, every team that's finished sixth and qualified into Europe has not made the group stages. Um, Dinamo of, of all of them, you know, Arsenal, Tula, Ufa. When you when you think of those two, you think, oh, that they they'll struggle. Ufa made it to the last qualifying round and almost beat Rangers. They only lost by one goal. 
Dino and Arsenal both fell at the first hurdle. You know, it's it's not good, um, not good at all. And, and it, I think it shows that you know, Russia needs time to, to to redevelop and you know just get the five teams who qualify for Europe playing well. We, now, now all our hopes lie on Rostov doing something next week um, against whoever they're playing out of Maccabi Haifa and, and Kairat. Yeah, that's truly a terrible result as well, I must say. I mean, you mentioned yourself. I'll, I'll let a little insight behind the curtain again here for the listeners. I mentioned earlier that the most David Sanson sentence you'll ever hear in your life is, and I quote, I don't know much about uh, Locomotive Tbilisi, but I do know more about Dinamo Tbilisi, which says all about <laughs> Loco Tbilisi beating a team of Dinamo's stature and quality in, in the game. So... Hanu, we'll move back on to Krasnodar. So, who do you think could be the Bulls' key men to look out for ahead of ahead of the game with Pauk? Yeah, before I get to Pauk, I'm sorry for breaking the script, but I want to say Dinamo should be ashamed of themselves, <laughs> themselves for that result. They've let Russia down again. Uh, there are no excuses for that result. They have the money, they have the players. So, yeah, it's just, this is Russia bottling in the qualifiers once again. But, yeah, Pauk, Krasnodar, Pauk, I would say... Krasnodar have a squad that is far better than Pauk on paper. Um, it was the same with Benfica. But Pauk do still have some players that could cause issues. Uh, Dimitris Giannoulis, who is their left back, and it will be a, a great competition seeing him go up against Wonderson. They play in the sort of a, a three, 3 at the back, 3-4-3 three, three system. He's a very um, electric player. He's been linked to quite a few clubs. Uh, they've also got... Um, the Greek Shapi, if you will, Christos Zolis, who is uh, only 17 years old. He made his debut, burst onto the scene, even got his first cap for Greece in this uh, international break that's just gone. Otherwise, Pauk have uh, a solid squad, which they have been steadily reinforcing. Uh, they're, they're not, it's not all rosy over there. Their managers also come under some scrutiny. But the thing with Benfica and the, in their game was that they stuck to their game plan really well. They sat back, they were tight in defence and they hit Benfica on the counter twice uh, obviously it's hard to predict what will happen in that game against Krasnodar because the Krasnodar is a very unpredictable side, um, you would hope that for Krasnodar they can, they can pull it out over two legs but I honestly think the ties are very very hard to predict Yeah, without a doubt, it's it's a really difficult one, Pauk one of those teams where they're just they're like the like in Siska's Champions League group last year, the Ludogorets and the Ferencvaros, where you know that the team that Krasnodar has should be beating them in paper, but the team that Krasnodar has has got absolutely minimal Champions League experience compared to Pauk, who are one of those who are just in it every year and they've got that know-how, and it's just going to be an absolutely rank double leg fixture. So Artyom, what do you think of Victor Klassen in particular for Krasnodar? So. Obviously, as listeners will know, he's been out for nigh on a year now, or over a year. And do you think Krasadar, part of why Krasadar possibly suffering right now is, is without him on top form, yet to get back from his injury? Uh, like you said, he's been out for a year now, um, and they definitely missed him while he was away. But I think that they signed a few very good players to, not to replace him, but to kind of fill in that gap that he uh, he's left. So... They've got the likes of Remy Cabea now, and Berg is playing very well. Um, I don't think it's just down to him, but uh, it is it is a big miss, of course. Uh, if they can get him back up to the form that he was at before he got injured, um, it'll be fantastic, and you know they, that could that could propel them towards the top of the league. 
Um, in terms of the the game against Pauk, like you said, it's going to be a tough game. Um, over two legs, I I personally think it's a better draw than against Benfica, but we'll see how it goes. Um, like like we just watched Dinamo get knocked out. The same thing could easily happen to Krasnodar. So let's hope that doesn't happen. Yeah, definitely. And in mentioning that, Krasnodar have only actually got two wins in seven in the league this season. You look at the table; it says three, but that was literally gifted to them in the in the technical defeat over technical victory over uh, Rotor. So Hanu, big Murad Masayev fan, is he under pressure if he doesn't get through the Champions League group stages, or is he already? He needs to be fired if he doesn't get to the Champions League group stages. It's as simple <laughs> as that. This man, this man has, has been. First of all, it took him about two and a half years to get his coaching license. He wasn't allowed to sit on the touchline for, for for at least two and a half years, okay? And for a while, people have been sort of giving him time because, oh, it's Krasnodar, uh, they've got a project, and he's a young poten- manager with potential. And I think it's it's about time he starts to show us that potential because, in my opinion, Krasnodar have the best squad in the league. They can beat Zenit, their squad. It, it's... Um, they should easily be getting to the higher stages of the Europa League. They should have gotten to at least one Champions League group stage at this point, and I don't think they're going to get a better chance than, than this. And I, I really think, um, even though Murad Masayev is Krasnodar through and through and whatnot, I think Galitsky really needs to be uh, looking at, at a short list of, of candidates for Krasnodar's job because I don't, I don't know how long uh, it is before Krasnodar move down, you know, they're currently in the pack which contains uh, Zenit, CSK, Lokomotiv. I don't know how long it is before they move down to the pack, you know, to the part that contains Rostov, Dinamo, Rubin and on these clubs. And I think uh, they, they're losing their lust really quick if they if they don't get to the Champions League this time. And if they don't do well in the Europa League this time again. So, yeah, I think Masayev is definitely in trouble. Yeah, I must admit, I, I think he's he's definitely under pressure. Galitsky's not one of those who really presses the fire button very quick. He's he's not he's he's quite short tempered. He's very mild mannered, but and he, he, of course everything for him is is long term. But it comes to a point where that long term needs to actually happen. It needs to be actually something in the short term to happen long. Exactly. And I think Masayev, yeah, Masayev's done a great job with some of these young lads bringing them through. But it's it's when you see this, the sort of the, the results there. Where the game's there for the taking, and and maybe this is, I think the antithesis of Krasnodar because it, it's all about philosophy, it's all about sticking to what they know, sticking to what's best, and they will get through it. But now and again, sometimes you know, I think that the the that they might need to just change it up a little bit, where maybe go going along to Berg a little bit more often, as horrendous as it is, is maybe the right thing to do against smaller teams because they always play well in the big games. But it, it seems like they dropped too many points against teams lower down the table for me. Yeah, hundred percent. I think even even in the big games, if you really think about it, and I, I I might be being too critical here, but even in the the game that we always talk about in the RPL, the, the champagne football game, is Zenit Krasnodar, and Zenit have come on top on on both of those games. Even the Krasnodar have given us some great football, and I think at at some point the the philosophy and the this this sort of um, the romantic side of football, I think, needs to take a back seat, especially when there's so much at, at stake, like at like at a club at Krasnodar, club like Krasnodar. 
Uh, Zenit don't necessarily play the most aesthetic football, but they have it in them to grind out the results. And I honestly, to me, the, I think some of the owners maybe has to go to the players because they should understand to, you know, uh, they should know what to do in, in a situation where it's a really bad, drab, nil-nil game. But I think they're just a team which has no backup plan. They, they try to play aesthetic football and then it doesn't work out. As soon as they're a goal down, they just resort to this state of uh, mayhem where they don't know what to do. They're trying to spam crosses. That's not working. And it, it just seems like they're too good of a team to be in such disarray. But somehow they find themselves in it way too often. And I really think they need a change of manager or at the very least a real change of plan. So um, to move on a little bit on this, I mean, my feelings on Kaio Payetalan is its central defence is quite well known in that I think he's a talented player. I think he's very good at progressing Krasadar at the pitch. But he's just got a horrifically gangly nature where I don't know if it's he is out of position or if it's just the way he constantly looks out of position and then reactive to it. But it's because he, he, he does look out of position quite a lot. And he's he's got a punch on for like a rash challenge. And he, he always worries me. And now I don't know if I'm just being overly harsh on someone who's got minimal experience. So, Artyom, do you think Krasadar's defence is good enough to get through and to challenge at the top of the league, at least? I think they definitely need an improvement. Um, just there, one of their centre-backs, she has gone now. So, I, I think they definitely need to bring in somebody before the end of the window. But um, I, I really don't know where they're going to look. Yeah, and of course, the the limited with who they can bring in through the foreigner limits. So, David, I'll bring you quickly in on this for the last last word on sort of Masayev. And do you think he's under pressure, or will Galitsky once again be looking to the longer term? And and could is there anybody out there who could even replace him? I don't. I don't think he's probably under pressure um, internally. Uh, perhaps um, fans from other clubs are, are looking in. Uh, and thinking, you know, they're not doing good enough, and people like us are saying, you know, they're not doing good enough. Um, I, I can't see him going anytime soon. Um, it, it depends if you know if they were to lose in the Champions League qualifiers. I think it would depend on the manner of their defeat um, as to whether that could be enough for him to go. They've put a lot of time into him, you know, they, they've backed him up, they've paid for all his coaching courses, they've got him his badge. Um, he's now at that stage where he is officially the manager. I can't see it, I can't see them pulling the plug on him at this stage. Um, it, it, it was a strange one to see Spice go, as Artem said. Um, I always quite like Kaya. I think while he's a bit, uh, he can be a bit rash, um, he, he always seems to make very good challenges. And he's got good numbers in terms of challenges made and interceptions. Um, but, uh, you know, and alongside Martinovic, they're not a bad partnership. Sorokin, who was brought in, we all thought was going to do quite well, has has generally struggled whenever he's played. Um, you know, despite being a good ball player, his his, defense, his defensive attributes have, have been a bit maybe more exposed um, at Krasnodar. And we've, we've seen him make mistakes and get dropped for it a couple of times already. Um, so that's by it, you know, they, they need to get someone in, but they still have got all the eight foreign, sp- foreign spots filled. So, 
you know, for them to do that, they're going to have to still get rid of someone else, whether that be Ramirez, who's been linked with plenty of moves, or maybe Kaio himself goes or something like that. Um, I think I think they've not had a bad start to the season. Granted, they're they're only seventh, um, but they've had some tough fixtures. Um, you know, they, they lost. They started away at Loco, and they and they lost there. Uh, we saw them. We were we were all impressed with how they start the season at, at Ufa. Um, the, the big bad loss was away at Ural, You know, um, losing that one after the early goal, and it just it just shell shocked them, and, and they couldn't break them down without Wanderson or Cabea that day. Um, yeah, a bit of bad luck with those two both being out injured. Um, and then yeah, the last two games of Cisco and Rostov, which are you know not not easy games. They've, they've had a tricky start to the season. I think I think we'll see them come good uh, domestically, and, and they'll be up there challenging for the top for the top three. Probably probably not for the title um, if if the form doesn't really improve. Um, but but I think Musayev will be will be sticking around for, for the foreseeable. Yeah, you kind of took the words right out of my mouth there, David. I was gonna my next question was going to be Sorokin and, and how he fits in at just Krasadar, but in lieu of that we'll just move on. So it's the the part that we all kind of love to hate, the predictions. So I'm just gonna look up for a straight up score prediction here. So David, what do you think? Score prediction for Krasadar Pauk, first leg. First leg. Oh, we're gonna have away goals in this, aren't we? We'll be single leg ones and not away goals. Um I think Pauk may may score on away goal. I think it it'll, it could be two one Krasnodar on the night. Artyom, how about you? Prediction? I'm gonna say one one. Oh, so I was gonna go as well. Damn. And Hanu, prediction for the game? Uh, two one Pauk. Oh, wow, it's spicy. That's been it for this week's episode of the RFN podcast. As always, check out the site at RussianFootballNews.com. We've got another RFN derby this weekend as Ruben hosts Spartak in Kazan. And then on Tuesday, of course, is that first leg. And hopefully, as things are planned, uh, RFN will be re- represented at the game by uh, Vitaly. So I know you listen to Vitaly. Enjoy that one, mate. Uh, David, where can we all find you online? And, of course, you work at Scout with Football as well. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at RFN underscore David. Uh, latest handbooks out. Um... For scattered football, and who have I written out this time? I can't actually remember right now. It's embarrassing. Crow. I'm sure I thought Crow was the one before that. Okay, it's Alex Crow this time. <laughs> so feel free to go <laughs> check that one out. I like how I know what you're writing more than you do right now. But anyway, um, Hanu, come on, you next. So you and Artem have got your own podcast which started up this season. So want to just go into a little bit about the pod and where everyone can find it. Yeah, um, our podcast is called Whatever This Is. We're still looking for a name, by the way. So if you, um, you've got a good name for our podcast, just let us know. And uh, we're offering, we're offering two months worth of the RPL's YouTube subscription as a reward for somebody for whoever has the best name. And our podcast essentially, you can find it on our uh, YouTube. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on a lot of the major platforms. What, what me and Artem do is. Basically, each week we just sit down and we have a very, very loose, casual, non-fact-based, totally opinion-based chat about everything going on at Russian football and more. And uh, this week we discovered and, and talked about some very relevant topics again, like the big at the CSK Spartak game. 
so you can you can find me at uh, on Twitter at h4nuu, and um, it's easier to type than it is to say out loud. I promise you that. And the links <laughs> the links to the podcast will be they're on my pinned tweet, so you can find them all there. And our next episode will come out tomorrow as well, tomorrow morning, so you can uh, find that out there as well. Yeah, definitely recommend everyone give it a listen. So to whatever this is, podcast. And Artyom, how about yourself? Yeah, so I think Hanu's plugged the podcast quite well there. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can do that at A-M-A-K-A or E-V-I-T-C-H. I know that's a bit of a weird, uh, a bit of a long one, but you can find me there or at NC Russ Football, which is also my account. So, um, yeah, that, that that's about it for me, so... Guys, thanks a minute for having me on. Yeah, guys. Thanks a lot. Yeah, of course, mate. And everyone, uh, just go to the Russ Football News Twitter and I'll link I'll link everyone's Twitters as usual. And uh, for, for sure, this is whatever this is, pod, because I think it's it's really funny. It's really funny. Um, if anyone, like like Hanu and Artem both said, it's like just a, a more chilled out, completely different style than this one. And it's, it's to be fair, it blows us out the water when it comes to the comedy side. It's, it's really good listen. Well done on that one, guys. And uh, let's be in the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его ударь Но мяч берет на нерешительный вратарь Не напрасно футбольное поле Самых ловких и смелых плечок Здесь нужны тренировка и воля Быстрота, увлечение, расчет 